Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Amen. Thank you, Andrea, my lovely wife. Uh, It's good to see everyone on this Sunday morning. Go ahead and open your Bible if you have one or the app on your phone to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be jumping back into uh, verse 1. And you may have noticed that last week Nate conveniently skipped this really easy, non-controversial <laughs> verse that says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Now here's the reality. This is God's Word. And at Sojourn, we're not afraid to preach anything that God's Word says. But I do ask you this on the front end. Remove any walls you've already put up based on the the words of the verse. And so I'm going to pray again that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us what this meant then and what this means now, and that he'll make it crystal clear. And so, God, I do come to you again. I think about the culture and the city that we live in, and if I'm completely honest with you, God, I'm often shaped by the culture and my surroundings. And my culture and my surroundings make me want to bend certain parts of your word. My culture, my surroundings make me want to lay down and give in. But God, this is your word. We believe in you. We follow you. And so God, we're not afraid to preach anything in this word, but we do ask that we won't put our own interpretation on it, but that your word will be made crystal clear to all of us. God, I ask that you would help us remove any barriers, any walls this morning, and that Lord willing, we can leave here with a clear and better understanding than we've ever had of what this actually means for your original audience and then for us here and now in our context. It's in your name, through your power we pray. Amen. There's a couple things I want to mention on the front end uh, with the help of what I call one of my mentors and uh, preaching uh, kind of guru who I go to, a guy named Matt Carter. He helped with a lot of this stuff. So I did a lot of prep this week and I reached out to him and said, Matt, I need your help. I need you to help me kind of get a better grasp and understanding. So I just want to give him credit where, uh, where credit is due. And so the first thing is that very few scriptures in all of the Bible in its entirety have been more misunderstood and more abused than this one. Men have used this text to subjugate women throughout history and kind of implied it as do whatever the man says. It's also been somehow misunderstood that men are superior to women. But when you actually start digging, and hopefully we'll start that process today, we're still not going to get into an exhaustive uh, uh, kind of study of this. If I'll uh, tell you on the front end, I told Ben this when we were setting up, I actually have three versions of this message, and I really wrestled on what version. One of them was double the length of my manuscript. One was a little bit shorter, and I was going to divide up into two weeks, and then there's this one that I felt like God had us land on. But when you start digging you realize that this is not and never was intended to be the meaning of this verse. That's why it's been misunderstood. It's been abused. Second, it's important to read this verse in light of the treatment of women in the Bible in its entirety. And so if you study the scripture, you know and the Bible is crystal clear, in case you didn't know this, that women are equal to men. Okay, that's why all my women should be shaking their heads and saying amen. Right? The Bible is crystal clear about this. There's no question about it. Galatians 3, verses 27 through 29. It says, For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. 
And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, it doesn't seem so much in our day and age, but for the first century, this was a really radical statement that was just made in that verse. It's saying that women are co-heirs alongside men to the inheritance of the kingdom of God. In that time and place, in that culture, that would have not been something really acceptable to say. And to my knowledge, I know we have at least one history major in here, so correct me if I'm wrong later, but to my knowledge, there's no other document in ancient civilization that elevates women to an equal status with men other than the Word of God. That should actually astound us when we, when we live life in our culture and our time and place. This is a leverage, a point to the Bible. I think sometimes we're kind of afraid because of these types of verses, but we say, look, actually, if you look throughout all of ancient civilization, it's God's Word who elevates women to this status when others fail to do so. Third, it's absolutely critical that you don't look at this as a standalone verse. If we just took this verse and threw it up and said, we're doing a whole series on wife submitting to your husband, this is where the misuse and abuse often comes from. That someone kind of leverages this to almost, uh, we all do it in different ways, but they'll use it to justify their behavior, to justify being domineering over their spouse, to, to justify making them do things that they were never actually asked or required to do. But as you look through the lens of the context that Peter is talking about in chapter 2, that's why it all builds. We have to kind of look at it all together. Here's the context. It says being a Christian does not mean you submit yourself just to God. It's, it starts there, but then if you remember the last several weeks, he's called us to submit to other areas of our lives as well. Being a Christian means you follow the example of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He voluntarily submitted himself. He submitted his life. And, and God calls us to submit our lives to earthly institutions that he has placed us in. Two weeks ago, we looked at the call of Christians to submit ourselves to governing authorities. Well, how do we do this? We do this by paying our taxes. We do this by driving the speed limit and obeying laws, even the ones that we consider stupid. Then Peter talks about servants being subject to those over them. We talked about how we all have someone who might be a boss. It, it, it's, it's somewhere in a, a board that we're part of in the neighborhood or maybe a school board, that there's someone that we, we answer to essentially and that we are to submit to those who are in authority over us. And then Peter talks about something that's critically radical to our understanding of what it means to actually submit. In other words, we have to kind of look at all of these areas first to then get to this area to have a clearer understanding, which was that Jesus submitted himself to the point of Death on the cross. And so if we look back at 1 Peter 2, 21 and 23, says this. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So think about how it was that Jesus was submitting himself to the will of the Father. We've got Jesus hanging on the cross, who at any moment could have gotten down from the cross. At any moment, Jesus could have called a legion of a thousand angels to come, and not only he would get down, but then just to kind of open a can on the Romans. And God would say, look, I don't deserve this, and, and just to, to go opposite, but he didn't do that. Jesus entrusted himself to God. Jesus voluntarily submitted himself to the Romans on the cross. Why did he do that? 
Because God had a greater plan. He called Jesus to fulfill this plan, which was for Jesus to suffer and to die for the sins of the world. So that God's ultimate plan, he had a bigger plan in mind, could be accomplished. So that now you and I, these songs of praise that we're singing, that we have an opportunity to have salvation in our lives and that we're able to spread that to the world as well. And so if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. Every time God says to a believer, this is for men and women, I want you to submit X, Y, or Z in your life. It's not to subjugate or to demean you. It's always because God has a greater purpose. God has a greater glorifying purpose in mind that he's calling you to. Now, here's the reality. We often can't see that in the moment. It can be very challenging. We don't understand, but God, you're trying to take this away from me. But God always has a greater plan in mind. It's only sometimes years later that we may even see this plan. And so it's in this context in which Peter comes in to give us the next example of Christian wives submitting to their husbands. Why? Because God has a plan. And he wants precious, worthy, beloved women to fulfill this plan. And so the call on women to submit to their husbands in no way is it this antiquated attempt to subjugate women if we just isolate the verse that it might seem like. It's when you look at it in this context that you realize that God is saying, I've called you to do this because I'm accomplishing something incredible through you. And so let's go back and look at that greater plan that God is calling women to fulfill and submitting to their husbands. First, we're going to stay right here on, on verse 23. We look to Jesus as our example. And he says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And so Peter tells us that Jesus just submitted himself to the Romans. And why did he do this? In order to fulfill a greater God-glorifying plan. And then he comes in right away verse 24, and he tells us what that plan was. It says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so Peter tells us that the son of God submitted himself and allowed himself to be crucified to fulfill God's plan of our salvation. Now think for a moment. If I said, who enjoys your salvation? Who's thankful for your salvation? And get a raise of hand. I assume most everyone would raise their hand. But what if we said, yeah, but Jesus decided he didn't want to submit. <laughs> he didn't want to submit to God's call on his life. Well, we'd all be in a very different boat this morning. We'd be all be in a very different circumstance. We'd be trying to come up with some kind of other idea and plan. And so it's within this context, keep this in mind. Now, the very next words out of Jesus' mouth that we skipped last week are 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Go ahead and put it on the screen. Likewise. Remember what we just looked at. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So Peter just said at the end of chapter 2 that Jesus submitted himself to the cross to fulfill God's plan, and then he says, likewise, which means in the very same way that Jesus submitted himself in order to fulfill God's plan, now, wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Why? In order to fulfill a greater God-glorifying plan. New Testament scholar Tom Schreiner said this. The question is whether we should infer from this text that wives should submit to husbands in today's world. 
Some would argue that in our culture, such advice would hinder the mission of the church rather than enhance it. Now, we need to make a couple things clear. Nowhere did Peter, and nowhere in the entirety of the New Testament, and you can't prove me wrong on this one, does it say that women are inferior to men, that women are intellectually less, that women are prone to wickedness. Nowhere does the New Testament say that. And if you've heard that teaching, that is false teaching, and so we need to throw that out. That's a, a pastor or podcast you should not listen to. That's a church we say is teaching false, true, uh, false teachings. Rather, what Peter does, he emphasizes that women are co-heirs, that, that, that they have this equal place with husbands of eternal life, implying the fundamental equality of men and women. What this does, and I know it's, it's hard in our minds to get it around that because we're like, yeah, this is 2022, we live in Portland, like this is, a, this is a given. But in this time and place, this would have been extremely countercultural. And the promotion of equality of women, and that's the Lord and Savior that we serve. That's the Lord and Savior that, that we sing praise to, that Jesus' treatment of women was revolutionary because he treated women with dignity and respect. And his stance towards women became the standard for the early church. And I would argue it should be the standard, and it is the standard, for the modern church in the treatment of how Jesus treated women. Now, I know you're thinking about, I saw this article and I heard this example, and this was my experience. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what Jesus presented, what Jesus did, and that that was his standard. That should be our standard. And so if you've had that experience in a time and a place and somewhere else, that's real. But I would argue that you haven't had that experience here. And that hopefully you'll never have that experience here in this place, in this church. And so the question, therefore, is not whether women are equal with men. The New Testament is clear on this. The issue is whether such equality is compatible with the call for wives to submit to their husbands. So for that, we're actually going to turn back to the book of Ephesians. This is where sermon number two comes in. We're going to turn back to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. It's on the screen if you don't want to turn there. You can jot it down if you're taking notes. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Paul's talking about marriage. And he starts talking about the roles that men and women fulfill within marriage. He says, men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He says, women, submit to your husbands like the church does to Christ. Andreas Kostenberger says, while some may view submitting to one's husband's authority as something negative, a more accurate way of looking at marital roles is to understand that wives are called to follow their husband's loving leadership. Loving is the key, key word there. I've heard the husband-wife relationship compared to a, a, a slow dance. I can't really dance, so if, if, you, ever, if you see me at Ben and Julia's wedding, you'll realize that. But in, in a slow dance, one leads and one follows. So if Andrea looks funny, it's because I'm leading. <laughs> one initiates and the other responds. But both are necessary to dance, for the dance to actually happen. But we have to understand these verses in light of what it's actually telling us. Once again, it's easy to read a verse and put our blinders on and, and put our ear muscles on and say, I don't want to hear it. But we have to read what's actually telling us. And so it's important to recognize a few things that this does not mean. Head does not mean the husband is the source of the wife. In fact, I would argue in my experience, most women are smarter than most men, at least the ones that I know. 
This does not suggest an inequality in the sexes. I've already said that both are equal. This does not mean a wife is to slavishly obey her husband. If you're in an abusive relationship, then you need to get out of it. You need to call the authorities and we will help you. This does mean that both men and women are image bearers of God and both are equal in standing and have different spiritual gifts and service, which is why we aspire to be a church made up of men and women who are leading out of their callings, who are leading out of their giftings, and who are leading in different roles. That's what we aspire to. And so, yes, it does say, the language that it's word is that wives are submit to their husbands. And in Ephesians, it says, who is the head? Who or or what turns the head? The neck. And so while the husbands are the head, the wives are the neck that turn the head. You may have heard that one before, but there's a lot of truth to that statement. If you're married, you understand. And it's worth noting for us guys in the room that God could have easily reversed the order. It's not like God was like, well... All right, man, this is how I'm going to order it, and you're this, because like, you've done something special. Like God could have easily reversed the order. We don't fully understand why he chose it the way he did and why it's phrased the way that it's phrased, but you had absolutely nothing to do with the order that God placed. But it's the God-honoring way that God has given. Kathy Keller says, A discussion of how gender roles work in marriage must begin with a look at the good that God originally intended. How men and women have corrupted that good, and what Jesus has done to redeem gender roles. Only then can we move on to the hazardous concepts of authority, submission, and headship, and the idea of a helpmate. Back in verse 25 of Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so married men, or soon to be married men, this is our calling. We are called to give up ourselves for our wives. I don't know about you, but that sounds more than submission to me. Like, if I had to pick one or the other, I'd actually probably like the submission thing sounds actually not that bad. You're telling me I have to give up myself? Do you know how hard that is? Like, I'm very, I'm a very selfish person. I think I realize, I realize that more and more. Marriage will help you realize that. Then you have kids, and you realize that even. You know, all of a sudden, you're like, well, I want to spend that money that I brought in. Like, I want to go get this. I want to do that. So giving up of yourself, that actually sounds a lot more challenging and difficult to me. Men, we're to love our wives sacrificially by laying down our lives. This is the opposite of a domineering male demanding his wife to wait on him hand and foot. Tim Keller, Kathy's husband, who you guys hear me frequently quote, says, your marriage must be more important to you than anything else. No other human being should get more of your love, energy, industry, and commitment than your spouse. And then Ephesians 5, 32, there should be a slide for this one. Paul comes in, he drops a theological mystery onto us of why God created marriage. Says this. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What refers to Christ and the church? Marriage. marriage. This whole marital dynamic between men and women, it's meant to be a picture of Christ and the church. The primary purpose of marriage is to display to the world a picture of the gospel. So, Sojourn, I don't care what the world says the purpose of marriage is, right? Like, Andrea and I enjoy watching uh, Love at First Sight, I think is what it was called. We watch these different kind of cheesy shows, and it's all the gushy, mushy feelings, right? And all the, those, those stories. But the world didn't create marriage. God created marriage. And Scripture tells us the reason God created marriage is to be a living, breathing picture to the world of what Christ's love for his bride is. 
And that the church, that this is what it looks like, that God's greater plan, and that it's supposed to be a picture of this relationship. I know that there's the statistics, and I'm not saying there's never a time and place or a reason we have time to get that today, but I think about divorce. I have more friends who have gotten divorced than I can count. Those who are within the church, some of them were pastoring churches. And it always kind of baffles me, but I think about it, and I think if we get our priorities out of whack, if we don't remember that this is what our marriage is to be, then no wonder... I think about the commitment people have to a church. If you know me well enough, you know I'm a huge proponent of the local church. If our commitment is, is lacking in what this picture is supposed to be, then it's no wonder that divorce is where it is. Because we've got our priorities completely out of whack. And, and especially for the men, I'll pick on us men, like we're, that means we're not laying down our lives. We're not sacrificially loving our wives. We're not putting her above our needs. And so married women, or soon to be married women, one of the greatest ways you'll be a witness to the world for the gospel is when you fulfill the role that God has called you to in your marriage. And that's why we should never look at this idea, this calling to submit as a burden. It's rather an opportunity to fulfill God's greater plan. And you might ask, well, what does this practically look like? Give me some, give me some handles here. The best way I've heard this explained is you follow your husband as he follows Christ. So married women, this doesn't mean that you don't have a unique calling. This doesn't mean that God's not going to use you in unique ways. But this does mean that one of your, I would even say one of your primary callings, if you're married, is to follow your husband as he is following Christ. Second, it doesn't mean that you don't have to do something. If he's asking you to do something that is immoral, that is sinful, that is wrong, then you don't have to do it. Do not submit if your husband is asking you or leading you into sin. Submission to Christ always trumps submission to your spouse. Third, this doesn't mean whatever he says, you just do it. If he's in the recliner and he yells, yo, go get me a drink. You go, you get that drink, put some ice in there, make sure it's really cold. And then you go and you dump it on his head. That's not what this is telling us to do. And so now, men, let me talk to you for a second. Many men expect or hope or desire that their wives would submit to them the way that the church submits to Christ. But here's the catch. They are often loving their wives the way that Christ loved the church. And so in order for your wife to do a biblical submission, then you need to be loving your wife in the way that Christ loved the church. In other words, make it a joy for her to live out this calling. So it's really easy at least for me, as you study this and you start looking at it and go, why has gotten so distorted? Why there's so much maybe even pushback? Why people aren't, well, like, they're not, they're not on board with this? Because, admit, if we're not living out our calling, then we're making it really challenging, really difficult for our wives to live out their calling. And it's important to remember that this is not a blanket call for all women to submit to all men. We've also heard that kind of come and that be abused. God is calling women within the covenant of marriage, I know we have a lot of single women in here, within the covenant of marriage to portray the gospel to the world. As a woman, whether you're single or whether you're married or soon to be married, you are 100% not called to submit to all men. You're probably thinking, amen. You're not called to submit to your boyfriend. You should honor him as a, a Christian, as a, just a fellow human being. But until there's at least a ring on it and you're about to walk the aisle... There's no, you're not called to submit to that individual. You don't start walking in this calling until you're entering into that covenant of marriage. Now, single women, you might be like, I'm tuning out, I'm not married. As of right now, maybe I don't even have a prospect in mind, or maybe I've met a prospect in mind. 
One of the number one questions that you should be asking as a single lady is if you're deciding you want to marry a guy, is this a man I'm willing to fulfill this calling with? Is this a man that in a biblical form that God is calling me that I could submit and follow as he is following Christ? And if your answer is no, then you need to get out of that relationship or don't ever enter into that relationship. This, might, this guy might have a great car. He might have a great job and money. He might look like Jesus from The Chosen. But if he's the kind of guy that you would not joyfully submit to, you do not need to marry him, period. And so church, submission makes absolutely no sense at all if you don't believe the gospel. So why does it make any sense to our world? Why this would be in here? Because they don't believe the gospel. That's the reason it doesn't make sense. And if you don't believe that this is what Jesus has done for you to save you, then you don't have to submit but if you do believe that it's through his submission and subjection that he saved you, then what God's word is saying to us is that we are to follow his example. Because as we do, we're reminding our spouse of the gospel and we're pointing the world to Jesus. So Peter finishes speaking to wives. He then begins focusing on the calling of husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way. Now, for the record, because I know when you're the one speaking, you'll think, oh, does he think he's mastered this? Does he think he's above? No, <laughs> I'm talking to myself as any, much as any other men in the room or any of those will hear it later. If I can be transparent, sometimes my wife says I am a little bit too transparent, but I've failed as, many, as much as any other man in the room or any other, other man in their marriage. And so when I, the verse I'm looking at now is more from a place of aspiration. Here's what God's calling me to. Here's what I desire to be. And so an obvious question you might think, man, all this, this talk of wives submission to husband, are, are husbands exempt from submission? We see the scripture taught that Jesus submitted. Scripture taught that we're all to submit to government. Scripture taught that wives are to submit to their spouse. Well, what about husbands? Are they exempt? No. Husbands are not exempt, which is why we're going to look at 1 Peter 3, verse 7. It says, likewise, there's that word again. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So Paul begins this verse 7 the same way he began verse 1, with that term likewise. He's saying in the same way that Jesus submitted himself to fulfill the gospel, in the same way that wives are to submit themselves to display the gospel, you too, husbands, are called to submit to display the gospel. So what does submission look like for the husband? Well, we need to recognize our roles as husband and wife are different. Therefore, our submission will look different. In the same way that Jesus gave himself up for the needs of the church, as husbands, we are called to give up ourselves for the needs of our wives. So here's the question I want us to answer, and then we'll finish. What does it look like for the husband to submit himself by giving himself up for his wife? Well, Peter just said, live with your wives in an understanding way. Meaning, live with your wives according to knowledge. You might think, what knowledge? What, what do husbands need to know? Well, not know wives. Tell us. Sometimes we need help. Let us know. What do husbands need to know? In order to love our wives like Christ loved the church. First, you need to know Jesus. You can't emulate Jesus and love your wife as Christ loved the church if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. 
This is the greatest gift that you can ever offer your wife. If you don't believe me, you don't have to answer this out loud, but I want you to answer this question in your head. If you had to choose between marrying a guy who's a jerk, but he's got a huge house and a really fat paycheck, or a husband who's going to love you like Christ loved the church, which one would you choose? If you had to choose between your, your future spouse or your spouse having rock-hard abs and never paying attention to you, but man, he's something to look at. Woo! Chiseled. But he doesn't ever speak to you. Never talk, I mean, literally never talks to you. He's in, he's on the phone, he's this, he's never, he never talks to you, but he's something to look at. Or having him love you like the church, but he, he has a dad bod, which one would you choose? The majority of women that I know would choose a husband who loves them like Christ loved the church and be willing to live in a 1,200 square foot house with a guy with a dad bod, but who loved her like Christ loved the church than one of those other scenarios. And how did Christ love the church? He loved her first. Christ literally came into a hell-bent world and loved the church. Though we didn't deserve it, he loved us first. Men, sometimes you may feel like your wife doesn't deserve it. And here's the reality. There might be times that she doesn't. It depends on how she's treating you, how she's acting. Love her first. Men, even if you think you are right when you're fighting and arguing, try and be the first one to pursue reconciliation. Once again, this is something I aspire to. So don't go asking Andrea if Matt does this. Something I aspire to. That's hard. Especially if you think you're right. But it doesn't matter. Even if you're not right, be the one that says, I want to pursue this. I want to pursue reconciliation. Second, we see that Christ loved the church by serving her. Men, instead of expecting your wife to always serve you, go out of your way to serve her first. Find out about her needs, what it is that you can do for her. Third, I see Andrea's taking a lot of notes this morning, being really nervous. <laughs> Christ loved the church and brought us to repentance through kindness, not anger. This is an area I feel like I'm failing forward. I actually have a pretty short fuse because I have... My priorities in front of me. I have what I want to do, what I want to get done. And when it doesn't happen, I just get frustrated. I get angry quickly. Which means that I often fail to live with my wife in an understanding way. And so men, if we're called to live with our wives in an understanding way, then this means we must know our wives and be a continuous student of our wives. Think about when you're dating. You're a student of that person you're dating. You want to know everything about them. You can't wait to spend time with them. It's just all, you know, all the emotions, it's all built up. But then something happens when you get married. It's almost like you check off that graduation castle, you know, and it's like, oh, I'm married now. Sometimes it's easy to get into this routine, this rut, and you, you forget to become a student of your spouse. But men were called to live their wife and understand ways, so we need to know something about them. Know how she receives love. You know, people receive love differently. Some people receive it through spending quality time together. Some people receive it through flowers and gifts. Some people receive it through physical touch. And so let's just say that you're someone who, it, it, it's through quality time. But that significant other is always showing up with gifts, but not spending any time with you. <laughs> look what I got you today. And then they're off in the garage doing their own thing. Or look what I did. It's like, I'm not feeling loved at all. So figure out how it is that they being loved and go out of your way to make them feel loved. And so here's the point. All of this takes submission. Submission of your time. Submission of your attention. If you're out to eat with your wife and you're looking over her shoulder to see what uh, game six of the NBA finals is, like she's not going to really feel like you're loving her in that moment. 
Or if you're like checking up, again, catch up on Instagram or Twitter or just swiping on your phone, like, and it's like, hey, I spent time with you. Like, I took you out. Why don't you feel loved? We got to do better than that. Submission of your priorities. It works a good thing, but sometimes we need to set work aside to show our prides that we honor them. Submission of your hobbies. It's okay to have separate hobbies. I actually think that's a healthy thing in marriage. But sometimes you need to say, you know what? I can't go and play basketball tonight because I'm going to go spend time with my spouse. And so as you see, men, submission is not just for our wives. It's a mutual submission by both spouses in order to display the gospel of Christ. And so do you want a better marriage emotionally, spiritually, and physically? This is where you start. By living with your wife in an understanding way, according to knowledge. And you honor her. I'm not getting too far deeper into the verse. kind of want to focus on those aspects. But it, it says to understanding way, showing honor. So we want to honor them. We're not going to get into the, the part where it talks about the weaker vessel because this message is going to be long enough. But that simply means in general terms, especially at that time. Are there women who are stronger than me? Heck yeah. Have you ever been to a CrossFit gym? I'm afraid to go in there. But in general, men have stronger strength than women. I know our culture is changing some of these rules, but there's a reason you don't see entire football teams of women playing fire football teams of men. In general, there's a bigger strength. That's all he's saying there. Think about the idea of a vessel, right? There's a vessel like a vase that you put flowers in. It's very small and precious. And then you've got like shipping containers, right? They're all vessels. We have different shapes and sizes of vessels. That's all he's saying there. He's not saying that, that women are weaker in some other manner, some other form, but that we are called to show them honor. And so don't ever forget, she may be your wife, but she's God's daughter. And God loves his daughter very, very much. To the point that he probably would interrupt your relationship with him to make sure that you understand that and you know that if you're not showing her love. So let me end by saying this. There comes a point in every believer's life where you have to make a really hard choice. Am I going to live in a way that pleases myself? Or am I going to live in a way that pleases the culture? Or am I going to live in a way that pleases the Lord? At the end of the day, all of this is all about pointing each other and others to Jesus. Husbands and wives laying themselves down in order to show a picture of the gospel to the world and to each other. It's not going to be easy. Scripture never tells us it's going to be easy. Just a few verses earlier, Peter said this. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footstep. Peter calls it suffering for a reason. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. And so only to the extent that you see Jesus has done this for you, will you be able to do this for your wife or do this for your husband. And doing so, display to the world a picture of the gospel. So church, let me pray for us and then we're going to respond in worship this morning. God, we believe in your word. It's all powerful, all knowing, it's all truth. And God, if we're honest, there's certain passages, certain verses, ones like this that we come across and we're a little more skittish because it has been misused, abused, misinterpreted, kind of subjugated women in the, in the past, and then we live in our time and place. We've got a culture that, if you just read this isolated verse, would probably be protesting in front of our building this morning. But God, I pray and hope that this morning that your word was made clear. 
God, even now, in this moment, your spirit is present. So if it was confusing or a word I used or an example I gave, God, clear that up in their mind and allow that to be made crystal clear to them. And God, that ultimately it's, it's not about uh, one spouse obeying the other, but God, it's about displaying a picture of the gospel to the world around us. And so God, we thank you for the, your order of creation. God, both men and women, you've placed us in the same boat, and God, we placed ourselves in sin and separation from you. But God, that you loved us in such a way that you pursued us, that you laid down your life in order to draw us to yourself and to make a way that we can be right with God. And God, that as husbands, as men, that we would live out that calling and duty. God, and just as the church, as we, the people, are to submit ourselves to you, that we'd have a clear understanding of what that looks like for godly women to live off that calling in their lives. And God, the reality is that this mutual submission as we are following and serving after you. It's in your name, for your power we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.